0: Join with me in the prayer for illumination, please. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The scripture today is from the book of John, the Gospel of John chapter 3, 1 through 17. Hear these words. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, but no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: So I I don't know about y'all, but I feel like uh, this passage, read beautifully, thank you so much, uh, is preached on a lot, right? Kind of overdone? Can I say that as a pastor? Just me? Uh, I didn't select it. It wasn't my choice. Uh, You know, if it was me, I would call the people who wrote the lectionary and say change your selection. Uh, Everyone's gonna preach on this verse all the time. And it is, it's it's like, it's a lot. It's out there, there's lots of sermons, lots of blogs, lots of articles, lots of football games with that guy in the end zone holding John 316. Like I remember being uh, a boy, you know, watching it on like the big wooden TV, like the TV wasn't made of wood, but the TV was in the wood. We were watching the game and there was always that like John 316 guy standing there like, is this, did I I make NBC? Am I on it? Like that was it. There's like a lot, a lot of this passage. And then, then there's this whole like born again bit that comes out of this. And I don't know if you can hear me roll my eyes in the back, but like that's totally there. Born again, and it's like I've heard a lot about that. Still not really sure what all it means. And I'm left sort of holding this passage, saying what am I supposed to, to do with this? What does it mean? What, how do I, what is going on here? And no doubt, some of you, this is your first time hearing it fair and you are drawn into the narrative right the characters this guy named Nicodemus which means conqueror and this guy named Jesus having this conversation at night maybe over a shared beverage maybe not and they are enjoying this little witty banter back and forth about being born again and of the spirit and how it's not of the flesh and Nicodemus is like I can't like you know Crawl back up into my mom, can I? And Jesus is like, you're taking me way too literally, son. And so they're having this conversation, and, and Nicodemus he's, he's a Pharisee, and now you're wondering, oh goodness, who is that? What is that? What kind of 401k package comes with being a Pharisee? And then Jesus is there, and there you know there's some sort of outcome, and the outcome is that Nicodemus gets schooled in theology, he gets tossed. Uh, Jesus is like, son, this is how it is. Nicodemus is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And we're all left saying, this is all rather confusing. Rather confusing. And for others of you, no doubt, this is not your first rodeo. How many of you, by show of hands or hoots or hollers, whatever you want, have heard a sermon on this passage? Good. Almost all y'all. How many of you have preached a sermon on this passage? All right? Yeah. Almost every preacher. This is like the one you do, right? You're in seminary. You got the training wheels on and they're like, let's give them an easy one. John 3.16. It's like, it's like, you know, it's a slow ball in the batting cage. It's what it is. And uh, we've all heard it before. And so you want me to mention the things that make people go, whoa, usually, yeah, right? For example, like Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. We all know this. And then John, this is a big uh, sort of motif. There's light, and there's dark, and then there's kind of this judgment on the dark, and Jesus is the light, and Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Don't miss it, right? It's there. You want me to mention that, and you want me to mention that uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and that these are basically like the pastors of the day, and they have massive run-ins with Jesus. They bicker and banter back and forth through all four Gospels. There's a sort of philosophical poking and prodding that happens in our passage And you want me to mention that Nicodemus is mentioned three times in the Gospel of John. He's introduced here. This is where Nicodemus kind of enters the scene. He's mentioned again in John chapter seven where they're having a discussion about should they kill him or should they not? And Nicodemus is like, shouldn't we listen to the dude? And they're like, "Uh, go search the scriptures. Prophets don't come out of Galilee. Check it out, dude. And Nicodemus is like, Okie dokie, and then later, right, So he mentioned again, I think in John chapter 20, I should probably check my notes, nope, 19, uh, and he's there, and he's talking with Joseph of Arimathea, and he's the guy who helps bury Jesus. You want me to mention that kind of stuff, right, This sort of na- narrative thread of Nicodemus. All this leads to some belief that Nicodemus has some sort of experience where he kind of turns his life around and begins following this Jesus thing, and you want me to talk about the mention at the very, very beginning of this passage where Nicodemus says, uh, teacher, it's clear that you produce many signs, and therefore you're of God, and you want me to say that signs, this is a key word for the Gospel of John, and the Gospel of John is all about these signs and miracles, right? Jesus does all these signs and miracles. He turns water into wine, raises people from the dead. He performs many signs. He heals people, and this is uh, kind of who Jesus is, like this cosmic Santa Claus that gives out gifts to people, or, you know, so like or you've been a good boy or a good girl, then you get all the good stuff, You want me to mention these sort of things that make people go, whoa. But as I read this passage, quite frankly, and I prepared for this, and I knew this passage was coming up for me today, and I was struggling all week with what in the world am I going to preach on this passage, Um, I am left really with just two things, uh, some things I've been struggling with. First, right out of the gate, I'm confused. Because the gospel writer says Jesus answered him. And Jesus or sorry, Nicodemus doesn't even ask a question. He doesn't have a question at all. He's trying to have a conversation, and then Jesus starts giving him answers. And I'm like, okay, grammatically that makes no sense. Also narratively it makes no sense. And I'm left wondering, what in the world was Nicodemus' question in the first place? Really? What's his question? And then the thing that I'm also left holding as I read this passage and wrestle with it all week is, what's Jesus' answer to Nicodemus' question that he never asks? What's Nicodemus' question, and what is Jesus' answer to his question? What is Nicodemus asking because it's not clear? What is he seeking? Why is he there, and what is going on? And how does Jesus respond to this. And so the first question, what is Nicodemus actually asking? I think to better understand this, we really need to kind of get our uh, heads around who this Nicodemus character is. I already mentioned that he's found three times in the Gospel of John. You can check it out if you're interested. I already mentioned that he's a Pharisee, but that may not clear it up entirely. You see, in Jewish thought, there's kind of three distinct schools. There's the the Sadducees, there are the, the Pharisees, And there are the Essenes. These are the people that make up Jewish thought and understanding about who God is and how how they should interact with culture and society around them. The Sadducees really found their um, bailiwick around all things dealing with the temple and the priestly functions. These are the guys that actually have authority to kill Jesus. The Pharisees don't. So when you read the narrative at the end of John, right? the Pharisees are completely absent from the story. They have no authority there. This is the realm of the Sadducees. These people are very interested in their priestly duties. They're actually very, very involved with all matters of the state. They're counselors to governors and kings and generals. They're very involved. The Pharisees, on the other hand, have sort of um, relinquished that role to the Sadducees. And the Pharisees are the pastors of the day. They're very interested in how do you apply the Torah and the law to your life. This is who they are. They're very interested in uh, when you read in the Old Testament that you should do X or you should do Y. Or you need to do this sort of uh, feast or this sort of um, you know, sacrifice or you have to do it this way. How do we do that? That's what the Pharisees' role was. They will produce things like the Mishnah and the Tosefta and later the Talmuds. These are all Jewish teachings on life and society and living. And the Essenes are more rigorous. They're more sectarian. It's rumored that John the Baptist might have been of the Essene community. Putting it in differently. You have the Pharisees who are the liberals. You have the Sadducees who are the conservatives. And you have the Essenes who are the radicals. Those are the three parties of the day, nothing much has changed, (laughs) that Jesus is encountering. And he's having a conversation with a mainline liberal Protestant pastor trying to talk about what does it mean to be born again. And Nicodemus and Jesus are sort of going back and forth over this entire thing. The Pharisees are casting a pretty negative light in all the Gospels. If you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that they debate over and over again, about marriage and food laws and Sabbath and generally how to live your life. And so the Pharisees and Jesus and their disciples, they get into conflict from time to time. And maybe, just maybe, John is setting the stage here. What is this conflict all about? You see, for Jesus, Jesus believes that all of the scriptures all of the Torah, all of the law, hangs on two things. Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Adonai el Adonai Hekad. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he believes it also hangs on something in Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the core tenet of Jesus' thought and discussion around the, the whole entire law. The law hangs on these two things. Love God love others. And the Pharisees disagree. (laughs) The Pharisees see the Torah and the law as the perfect revelation of God's divine nature and will for society. And so it must be kept and preserved tit for tat, letter by letter. Do you see the conflict here? The Pharisees and Jesus butt heads because they don't disagree that there is a God. They don't disagree that God loves everybody. They don't disagree that there's chosen people and that God's grace is abundant and free and good. What they disagree on is how in the world do we live? And they're having a discussion about that. And so, in light of this, I think Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's asking, What is this all about? And Jesus answers him, But how can I be born again? And Jesus says to him, But Jesus, that's impossible. And Jesus says to him, You're a pastor. You went to SMU or Duke or Harvard or Yale and you don't know these things, Nicodemus? How embarrassing. Go back to Theology 101 and tell your prof you flunked. They're having a discussion about what does it mean to be born again? What is this all about? And so the question really is, Nicodemus saying, you're Jesus. You have done some amazing stuff and I can't quite comprehend all of that. How can I be a part of the kingdom of God? This passage is really less about escaping the fiery torment to come if you say some particular sinner's prayer. And it's more about Nicodemus engaging with the ministry that Jesus is doing. How do I be a part of what you're doing, Jesus? How can I be a part of the kingdom of God? What do you want me to do? What are you all about? Where are you in all this? Nicodemus, I think, is exploring and he's pushing the boundaries of his religion. And his worldview is widening, and he is deconstructing his faith and trying to build up something with the help of Jesus and a midnight conversation <laughs> about life. Jesus is shocked that the Pharisee would have such an issue with this, and that he has a hard time grasping these ideas. And that really leads us to the second question that I have. What is Jesus' response to Nicodemus? what is Jesus' response? I think it's layered, and I don't necessarily think it's nuanced. I think it's pretty clear, but I think it's layered. At times, it's twisting and unclear, and there are certain elements to it that need to be understood. So the question, plainly put, is how can you be a part of the kingdom of God? This is what Jesus is answering Nicodemus about, and Jesus responds with some key pieces. You have to be born again, and that is all wrapped up and who I am, not I, Josh, but who Jesus is, and what Jesus stands for, and what will happen to Jesus, and what that means for us. Friends, I don't know if you're ready to go to school, because Jesus unloads two barrels on Nicodemus. And if we would have it the same, Jesus would unload two barrels of theology on us today as well. Being born again is a prerequisite for the kingdom of God. In the Greek, this word is anothen. It means again or anew or from above or all of that together. And it ain't physical. It's a spiritual birth. Now, I don't know about you all, uh, but I was present for the birth of um, my three children. And birth is nothing like the movies. I'll tell you now, Uh, I I did not expect that much blood, (laughs) that much uh, screaming. Sometimes my wife was like, just just silent, and I was like, what is happening, right? It was just this physical, visceral experience. In fact, it's a lot of pain, it's a lot of suffering, and oftentimes you're not really clear what's gonna happen. Spiritual rebirth is the exact same. Sometimes a lot of pain, sometimes a lot of suffering, and sometimes you're not really sure What's going to happen? What if all of your core assumptions about God and moral good and justice, what if all your core assumptions about correctness, about reality and truth and purpose and identity needed to be reborn? And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you got it all wrong, friend. It needs to be reborn. And Nicodemus is going, ha, <laughs> No, thank you. <laughs> no way. Uh uh-uh. uh. I went to a very good school. Thank you very much. I have my diploma on the wall in my office, and I have a very cushy 401, so I'm good. And Jesus says it needs to be reborn, rebirthed, renewed. And with that comes some growing pains. Friends, the, the world has sold you a false bill of goods. The world has said that you are a child of your mom and your dad, and I'm here to tell you that's a lie. You are a child of God. The world has told you that you are worth what you produce or what you contribute to the company or what kind of projects you manage. And friends, I'm here to tell you that's a lie. Your worth is found in your identity as a child of God. You are beloved no matter what you produce, what you bring to a company or who you are, or who your mommy and daddy are. It doesn't matter. The world has told you what matters most is to work really hard and then retire and take all the fancy vacations and post on Instagram, and then, yeah, it's a good life. And I'm here to tell you, that's a lie. It's a lie. There's nothing good in that. It's empty. It's hollow. It is veneer, polish and brass on the Titanic. It is not true and good and beautiful, the true value of life is the life spent in God, loving God with our whole being and loving others. That's what Jesus is saying. And the Pharisees saying, "Ho, oh, mercy. I'm not sure what to do with that." This spiritual rebirth, this new way of looking at the world, it's an alternative mode of thinking and being. And it is painful because the world keeps trying to sell us a false bill of goods. And Jesus equates all of this, he equates all of this with darkness. And he has laid down the verdict. And Jesus says that he himself is light and it has come into the world. So you should be liberated, Nicodemus. You should be born again. You have freedom. Choose liberation. They have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And this, friends, is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed and shown as nothing but ash and dust. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Man, this being born against stuff is messy. It's painful. It reorders our perspective and life, and it is visceral and real. And so how can you be a part Of the kingdom of God. That's what Nicodemus is asking. How can I be a part of the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, it starts with being born again. It starts with being born again. And this is not some moralizing. Our spiritual rebirth in Jesus is filled with all the screaming, the pain and uncertainty of real birth. When we are born again, life begins, truly. It challenges us and ultimately changes us. And so may we here today in this space embrace the good news that Jesus offers us new life here and now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.